Good morning. Nope, I'm just going to lay down. Uh, if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Um, the other day, probably a couple weeks ago, I came home, and uh, my entire family was away from the house. So there was nobody home uh, but I came home, went to the front door, and found the front door was slightly ajar. Now, we don't live in a dangerous neighborhood. I didn't really have anything to worry about. I just assumed that one of the kids had left it open as they were leaving to run out to the car. You know, people forget to close the door, no big deal. But then I had this thought, well, what if somebody's inside robbing me as I think through this process? What if? Like, what if? I don't know, but what if? And so then I think, okay, well, now i got to go check the house out. So, all right. So, I mean, I'm not nervous, but I'm starting, you know, if there's like a little dial on kind of a, like the nerves, the anxiety setting, it's going up just, a, you know, a little bit because I'm now kind of in SWAT team mode, clearing the house, making sure there's no intruders. So I walk in the door, and of course I start with the dark basement because that's, if there's an intruder, they're going to go to the basement. I've seen movies before. And I'm walking around the house, I'm checking behind every door, I'm checking behind uh, every, you know, cushion, seat, whatever, just making sure that there's nobody in the house. Because I don't want to, like, have, like, looked in a room. I mean, I shouted out a little bit, just in case the burglar was going to be like, oh, I'm up here stealing your stuff. But I, I shouted, but, you know, nobody responded. So I, you know, I clear the basement, it's all good, all clear, go up, clear the first level. Uh, and then I go up to the upstairs level where the bedrooms are, and I look in our bedroom, look in our closet, look behind the clothes, nobody's there, you know. And I'm, as I'm going through, like as, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but for me, as I take each step into each different place, if there is like a, a worry meter in my, my chest, it's kind of going up a little bit as I go along. Because I'm not reassured by the fact that I haven't found anybody yet, I'm just assuming they're good at hiding. Right? You know what I mean? It's just, I get, I get a little nervous, because what if? So the final room I come to, the one room I hadn't checked, I'm walking past the bathroom, don't think anything about it, walk past the bathroom in the hallway, and then I back up and I realize the bathroom, the shower curtain is all the way shut. Now, we have a bunch of kids, they don't always shut the shower curtain, that's, you know, it's possible, it's plausible, but what if somebody's hiding behind there? And so I, I back up, I look at the shower curtain, and I turn and I stare, hoping like I can see movement or sense something. And I get really quiet, and I can kind of hear my own heartbeat. And at this point, like if there's that worryometer inside me, like it's really kind of cranked up because I've checked everywhere else. The door was ajar, the shower curtain shut. All the clues are adding up to that there's somebody behind here. I mean, it's very clear. How could anybody draw any other conclusion? What if? Somebody is behind that curtain. 
And I'm getting a little nervous, right? A little nervous. Now, at this point, I'm still not like, I'm going to call 911 and have some police officer clear my shower curtain for me. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on in there. And so I, uh, I stand at the door to the bathroom, looking at the shower curtain, seeing if I could see any movement, hear anything, hear breathing, hear anything at all. And then I thought, well, I got to do one of those movie scenes where I whip that shower curtain back and find who's there. But I'm standing there kind of like trying to muster up the nerve a little bit. And so I take a step forward. And unmistakably, there's nobody else in this house, no family members in this house but me, but I unmistakably hear a high-pitched, sing-songy voice say to me, peekaboo, and then, I love you. Um, what I'm trying to tell you is I had a little mini heart attack right there. <laughs> because I had stepped on a teddy bear that says, peekaboo, I love you. If you step... Now, now I just want you to imagine. Imagine the room is silent. Imagine you're like, your monitor inside your chest that makes you nervous is like wound all the way up. Imagine you're convinced that somebody's behind the curtain. Imagine all these things are true, and then you hear in the silence of this room, not, no sound but your breathing and your heartbeat. Tell me that wouldn't freak you out. I'm not the only one that would be terrified by this little teddy bear that's supposed to bring comfort. Scared me to death. And there was nobody there but like me just to sit on the floor and let my body calm down, let the adrenaline run out of my veins. And I didn't, you know, at the time, I figured maybe this will make a good illustration, but I don't want to tell anybody I got scared by a teddy bear. I don't want to admit that, but that's exactly what happened. Fear. It's not a choice I made. It's something that kind of just happened. Fear. All these what-ifs kind of coming together to create the perfect storm of something bad is going to happen, and it's going to happen to me. All these fears. We're starting a brand new series called Do Not Fear. And this is why we're talking about this. Because I've been spending some, some months thinking about this topic. Do not fear. And here's why we're talking about it. Because whether or not we realize it, fear is everywhere. Like you probably haven't thought about this, but most of your decisions in some way are influenced by your fears. Pretty fundamentally. Now, we call them other things. We don't call them fears. We call them common sense or prudence or whatever. But it really, if you dig down at the heart of all that, it's fear kind of like forcing you to make decisions that maybe you sometimes are against your own best, in, best interests. Think about fear being everywhere. Think about the advertisements we see. It's not like these advertisers are saying, hey, you should be scared. Sometimes they are. But they're communicating through these advertisements, if you don't buy this brand of tires, your children will not be safe. That's what they're telling us. And so I should be afraid of not having that brand of tires. If I don't use this lawn care treatment, your neighbors won't like you. I need to be afraid that my neighbors won't like me if I don't use this lawn care treatment. It's all, it all comes back to these, these ideas of fear, all, all kind of bound up in, 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 in trying to circumvent our choices and get us to buy into fear. Fear stops us from thinking. Fear makes us do uh, normal, sensible things, kind of like putting our seatbelts and locking our doors at night and shutting the front door. But I think the ma vast majority of our fears are kind of these irrational what ifs. What if? 
It's that possibility that's opened the door. It's probably my kids that left it open, but what if there's an intruder? I've checked everything, but what if they're behind the shower curtain? And, and these irrational what-ifs just get us all wound up, and we start acting out of fear. But finally, and I think probably the most important thing, is that fear interrupts our faith. Fear interrupts our faith. And this is really valuable for us to consider, that fear interrupts our faith. Uh, because of how fundamentally it is involved in just every area of our lives. Fear interrupts our faith. Over and over and over and over again through scriptures, by God, by apostles, by prophets, this command is repeated in scripture, do not fear. If you search Pinterest, you'll probably find that do not fear is repeated in the Bible 365 times. That's not true. It's in the Bible way more than that. It's do not fear. It's, do not, it's take courage. It's do not be afraid. It's all over the place. Do not fear. Did you know that in the Bible, the Bible tells us, commands us not to fear more than it commands us to do anything else. To love people, to take care of our neighbors, to take care of the poor, the sick, the lonely. More than any of those things, it tells us to do not fear. Why? Because fear affects our ability to do those things. And so fundamentally, it tells us this command, do not fear. Now, that's not very helpful because for most of you, you're like, I didn't, I don't want to be afraid. I am afraid. And I don't know, it's not like something I'm trying to do. So how do I handle this idea of, how do I obey this command of do not fear when it's not something that I want to be doing either? Discipleship will lead us to places that our fear will tell us to avoid. Discipleship, if you're taking the call to discipleship seriously, it will lead you down paths that fear will say, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't help that person. Fear will tell you to avoid discipleship. It'll tell you to avoid obeying God. You'll see an opportunity, and you'll see it clearly being an opportunity to respond in discipleship, and your fear will tell you, nope, don't do that. Because fear will push you away from where discipleship, where God is trying to lead you. Now, real quick, let's be clear about what we're talking about and what we're not, all right? This is something that churches don't do very well all the time, what we're talking about and what we're not. We are not talking about issues that require professional help or prescription medication. We're not talking about that. So many times throughout church life, some of you with, with anxiety, chronic anxiety, you've been told, don't worry. The Bible says, do not worry. And you're like, I don't want to worry. I don't, that's not something I want to do. But if it requires medication, if it requires professional help, that's okay. We wouldn't tell someone who had a broken leg, hey, just walk it off, buddy. It requires a cast. They need, they need the correct, proper help. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean your faith isn't good enough because you require a professional to assist you in getting over those anxieties. That's not the problem. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is a fear, not as a condition, but as a habit, as a standard operating procedure. Something that we just default to because we're not thinking, we're not acting in faith. We're talking about a fear that interrupts our faith. And let me give you some quick examples because I don't think it's always obvious to us. Let me give you some examples. Following Jesus tells us, you know, be generous. Be generous. Fear says, what if I don't have enough for myself? Following Jesus says, be forgiving. Fear says, what if they do it again? Following Jesus says, celebrate others' success. Fear says, what if I'm not successful? Following Jesus says, obey. Fear says, what if it doesn't work out? And every time we're called to faith, called into the unknown, called to take a risk, called to put something on the line, fear pops up and says, no, no, let's not do that. 
That's dangerous. Common sense tells you don't do that, but yet faith is calling us down this path. And so we have to talk about this issue of discipleship and fear and faith. Because it's not always obvious that we're operating out of fear when we make some of the choices that we do. Let's go back to our passage. Verse 40. Mark 4.40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Does, does anyone else read annoyance in this text from Jesus? Jesus is a little annoyed at his guys, isn't he? You're kind of, now, I'm a little sympathetic to the disciples here. Because, I mean, it's not like every day I'm on the Sea of Galilee in a storm. But, I mean, I imagine if I were in their situation, I would be nervous too. I would, that would be a problem. And Jesus, like, not only, like, does he calm the storm, tell them don't worry about it. He doesn't say, hey, just be calm, guys. It's all okay. He gets annoyed at them for their lack of faith in this situation. He says, are, why are you so afraid? And the disciples are like, well, we're, we're afraid because of the storm. Did, I mean, we had to wake you up to tell you that. What are you talking about? Why are we so afraid? And then he says, and this is the crucial connection, do you still have no faith? Because fear interrupts our faith. Fear interrupts our faith. Let's talk about how, first how fear works, and then uh, secondly, why it's so problematic for Jesus, especially in this passage. How does fear work and why it's so problematic? Number one. Fear never gives us all the information. Fear never gives us all the information. Um, one of our youth group members got their license uh, a few years back, and I won't name any names, but he's about 7'5". He's really tall. <laughs> and he's holding a baby over there. So no names, though. Keep it on the down low. Uh, he got his license, and um, not too long after getting his license, and, and I really have no room to talk here, but... He got in a car accident. He or she, they got in a car accident. Now you're all looking over here, who was it? They got in a car accident, and uh, they, they did the responsible thing. They immediately told their parents, right? Uh, they, and I might not be getting the story right. You can ask for details later, but I, I think I've confirmed enough of the, the major details. They got in a car accident, immediately texted their parents, and this is what they, uh, this is what they texted. They said, um, I got in an accident. My phone, car, car, or phone battery, rather, is dying. I'm at such and such an intersection, and then to preserve their phone battery, which is a responsible thing to do, they turned the phone off. <laughs> now, they in their mind had done all the proper things, right? My parents know what happened, they know where I am, I'm being responsible, I'm turning the phone off. Now, you parents, what did this person leave out that was crucial to this situation? All right, so evidently, all the parents can deduce from this situation is that their thumb works properly. That's all they can deduce. They don't know. Are they in the emergency room in a full body cast and they were able to move their thumb? That's all the information they know. Phone batteries off, and so I love this. Parents, of course, hop in the car, drive to the intersection. It was a minor accident. Everybody was okay. And so they got back in their car, and they drove home, calmly, leisurely, driving home, feeling like they had done everything, while the parents, I'm sure, had hit on the gas, and they're driving as fast as they can to the scene of the accident, don't know what happened, don't know what's going on, don't know how bad it is, don't know if there's going to be body parts lying all over the road, but there's some still texting, and they have no idea... And he's just driving home like everything's just fine. Because he left out a crucial piece of information that would have at least alleviated the majority of those fears. Which is if he had texted, by the way, I'm fine. Or, by the way, everything's cool. Or whatever it is. Whatever it is. 
left that out, and so fear kind of took hold and said, oh, let's go worst case scenario, right? And that's what most of us parents do if we don't hear back immediately. They were supposed to be back at 1030, and it's 1031, call the cops. Fear just takes us right there because we don't have all the information. We don't have all the information at our fingertips. Fear never gives us all the information. When we engage in fear, we think we're taking into account all the possibilities, all the what-ifs, all the things that could go wrong, right? When we get on an airplane and we start getting nervous, we're like, well, I'm just thinking about everything. I'm thinking about all the things that could fail. The pilot could pass out. The engines could fail. I don't know. We could get hit by a bird. I have no idea. All the, but I'm thinking all the what-ifs, and because I'm taking into account all the what-ifs, I am living in fear. But the problem is, is fear doesn't know everything. And fear cannot give you everything. And fear never gives you everything. It never gives you all the information. We're always missing at least one crucial piece of information when it comes to fear. One of the most famous passages uh, related to fear, and it's, again, it's all over the Bible. But Psalm 23, verse 4. And I I quote the uh, King James because that's what we all memorized it in, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If you're coming to a crossroads and there's a sign that says valley of the shadow of death and a sign that says blue skies and rainbows, <laughs> where are you going to go, right? This isn't vacation destination. If something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen in the valley of the shadow of death, right? Where did you go when this happened? Oh, I was in the valley of the shadow. Well, that's your first problem. Go somewhere happier. Go to Disney World. Bad things happen in that place. But yet, David writes, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Now, let's just pause there for a second and let's talk about the news. How many of you engaged in fear this week because of something that you heard on the news about a politician or a country or a disease? And you, we're pumping ourselves full of fear juice and then we're struggling with fear Why is that? Well, I heard on the news that there's going to be razor blades in the Halloween candy, so kids, no thank you. Or I heard on the news that this politician has said this thing and is doing this thing and we're in World War III. I will fear no evil. But why? Why? Just because some of you are like, I, I would love to just turn it off, right? I would love to just be able to flip the switch and turn it off. But why does he fear no evil? There's a reason. He just doesn't say, I'm going to stop fearing. He says, because you are with me. Not that I'm not in the valley of the shadow of death, but you are with me. If you were to make a pros and cons list, and you were to write on the cons list, fear of the unknown, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of perfection, fear of whatever, or imperfection, and all, all the fears, fear of spiders, fear of whatever, whatever it is, right? All the fears over here. And you were to write a prose list, you only need one thing on that list. That God is with me. You know self-help books? They say face your fears. But that's not the advice the Bible gives us. They don't say face your fears. The Bible says don't face your fears, face God. You are with me. And that's... That's the direction we head when we're struggling with our fears. You can't just shut it off. You've got to remind yourself of the information that fear is not giving you, that God is with us, that God has granted us promises, that God is going to come through, that God has come through in the past and he will come through in the future. We've got to remind ourselves of the truth because fear never gives us all the information. 
The disciples, they assumed that Jesus was asleep because he didn't know about the storm. But he wasn't asleep because he didn't know about the storm. He had all the information and he said the most appropriate thing to do at this juncture is to take a nap. Because I have all the information. Parents, um, I'm not... I have no goal to give parenting advice. I was thinking about this the other day. I could never write a parenting book. It would just feel so hypocritical. I'd be like, I don't know, just keep working at it until something happens. I, I don't know. That would be like my whole book. I don't know, guys. But I, I, there are a couple things that at least we've done throughout the years that have been helpful. Um, you see parents sometimes on playgrounds uh, and the kid, like, you know, he falls off the, the swing or falls off the slide or whatever. And he falls on the ground, and mom or dad rush over there as if this child is made of fragile glass. Are you okay? Is everything all right? I'm sorry I didn't wrap bubble around, wrap around you to go down that slide. I'm, is everything okay? But we, with our kids, and this may be just because we're both kind of heartless, they would fall on the ground, and we'd watch them at first. Because you know what kids do? Kids look to their parents to decide how they should feel about certain situations. And if mom's going over freaking out, you know what the kids are going to do? Ah, I guess I got to freak out. But if mom's like, buddy, you're fine. Blood clots, it's okay. Walk it off. No problem. You'll be okay. And then the kids are like, well, you know what? I, I, guess, I'm, I guess I'm all right. Dust myself off and keep playing. One of, and this is, you know, maybe, again, not giving parenting advice. But when my kids fall off of something, I almost immediately try to, you know, give them a little comfort. And then let's go right back on that thing. I don't want you to be afraid of that thing. So when we, when we have fears, when we're struggling with our fears, we need to look to God. What was Jesus doing in this situation? He was taking a nap. And the disciples should have taken a clue like, hey, Jesus knows what's going on. He thinks it's time to sleep. Maybe the rocking of the boat is a good, let's take a nap. I don't know. I guess that's what we need to do because we're looking to God, not to our fears. Fear never gives us all the information. Secondly, this is why it's such a problem. This is why Jesus gets annoyed. And this is important. Fear makes us question the character of God. Fear makes us question the character of God. Look at what the disciples said just a few verses back. Verse 38. Jesus was in the stern. He's sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, do you think the disciples were asking a question? They phrased it in the form of question as if it's jeopardy, but they're not asking a question. They're saying something about the character of Jesus here. Your kids do that sometimes too when you say clean your room and they say, why do I have to clean my room? They're not asking a question. They just know that they're going to get in trouble if they say, no, I'm not going to clean my room. So they phrase it in the form of a question. Why do I have to clean my room? They're not, the disciples aren't asking a question. They're not saying, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? They're saying, Jesus, you don't care that we're drowning. Because obviously we've got a terrible situation here and you're sleeping. You don't care. You don't care that we're dying. They're calling his character into question. And look how he responds in verse 39. He got up. Now, he was annoyed, right? He get, maybe he's annoyed because I've seen some very wonderful, nice, filled with the Holy Spirit people get a little annoyed when they get woken up too early. I've seen that. That happens, right? He got a little annoyed, but he got up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And of course, immediately the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, this was very impressive to the disciples. They talk about this later. Who is this man? And we read this passage a lot to try to understand who Jesus is. He has power over the chaos of the sea. He's, he's powerful. He controls nature. I mean, that's amazing. That's incredible. But Jesus says something in the middle of that. He rebukes the storm and then he rebukes his disciples. He says, why are you so afraid? 
And this is the point Jesus is making. Yes, Jesus is powerful. That's a good takeaway from this passage. But here's the point Jesus is making. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? Faith in what? Faith in me. You're questioning my character. You're questioning who I am. Your fear is interrupting your faith. How about for us that aren't in boats on storms? Like, it's not a situation we find ourselves in very often. What's our version of Jesus, don't you care? God, don't you care? Alex mentioned John the Baptist. You think there was some fear in that doubt? What's going on? I'm in prison. You're not helping. What's happening? Are you the one or are we supposed to look for somebody else? I can't be generous because fear says maybe God can't or won't provide for me. So I've got to hold on tightly to what I have. I can't be generous because of fear. I'm calling in the question, into question the character of God. I can't be generous and that's challenging the character of God because I don't believe fully that God will provide for me. I'm challenging the character of God. I can't be forgiving because fear says maybe God isn't just. Maybe God won't hold them accountable for what they did. So I have to hold them accountable because maybe God isn't who he said he is. I'm calling into question the character of God when I'm unable to be forgiving to someone else. I can't celebrate others' success because fear says maybe God isn't good. Maybe he's not going to bless me the way that I want to be blessed. I have to fight for my own success. I cannot cheer on their success because I'm questioning the character of God. I can't obey because fear says maybe God doesn't actually have my best interests at heart. I need to have my own best interests at heart. I need to fight for my place. I need to fight for my way because I'm not sure that God can be trusted. Fear calls into question the character of God. Don't you care that we're about to drown? They're literally saying, the words they're saying is don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that we are in the process of dying right now? You don't care, Jesus. And he gets mad at them for that because they're calling into question his character. When we give in to fear, we are saying the thing we fear is greater than the God we serve. I've used this illustration years ago, years ago, so some of you will remember, but I thought it was worth bringing back because it fit what we're talking about so well. Um, one of the first experiences I had with a frozen lake after we moved here was uh, at our apartment. Behind it was a big lake, and uh, we moved in April, so no ice on the lake, but by the time winter rolled around, it was covered in ice, and I had seen people out there uh, fishing and driving their cars, which seemed absolutely bonkers to me. Driving their cars out on the ice. Have you guys not seen the movies where they fall through the ice? You guys are nuts. That's crazy. One evening, uh, it was a little bit later, probably 9 or 10 o'clock, very dark. Um, I decided to take a walk outside, and I kind of found myself, I was going to try to walk around the circumference of the lake, and I found that the trail ended on the far side of the lake, and it didn't continue. I couldn't walk through and so I thought, well, I can walk all the way back, or I can walk across the lake. Now, I'd never been on frozen ice before, other than like a skating rink, where I'm pretty sure there was nothing underneath me to fall through. But I thought, you know what? I've seen cars driving on here. Surely, this ice can hold my body weight. I'm not as heavy as a car, right? Like, surely, logically, this is fine. And so, of course, I get to the edge of the lake, and I'm looking at right, you know, right where the ground ends and the ice begins, and I kind of step out, and I test it. 
Like, I've seen cars, but I'm still like, well, if I can move it, I'm, you know, you know of course I can't move it. So I step, put a little bit of weight, and then finally I shift my weight onto the lake. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is good, all right, everything's fine, nothing's happening, I haven't fallen through yet, all right, watch for the weak spots in the ice. And so I start to walk across the lake very gingerly, kind of being careful to, to watch what I'm doing, because I'm nervous. What if it breaks through, it's like... 9.30 at night, I'm the only person out here, what's going to happen, right? I've seen this story, so I'm being very careful, very, common sense, right? Common sense, very careful, very cautious. And eventually I get, I don't know, probably 100 feet out or so, and the ice kind of makes this noise that I'm unfamiliar with. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guarantee you, that, that's a crack in the ice. I have found the crack in the ice. The ice is cracked, and now I need to figure out what to do. So I'm looking back to the shore. Do I try to make a run for it back to the shore? I've got about 200 yards in front of me, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. Because is it weaker that way? Is it strong? I don't know. I don't, I'm like frozen with fear about what to do. And so this is true, and because nobody is there, but I can tell you about it now because it's been long enough ago, I kind of get down, like I have gloves on, and I get down on my hands and my knees to try to distribute my weight. Because I heard the ice shift. And so if you happen to be walking around on that lake and you happen to look out on that lake at about 9.30 at night, you would have seen this guy crawling across the lake because of fear. Now, did my fear have anything to do with the ice or the thickness of the ice? No. It had to do with my behavior. It had to do with the way I acted. Does our fear solve any of our problems? Does it add a day to our life? Does it add hairs to our head? Does it give us more food on the table? Absolutely not. Jesus was very clear. You cannot worry your way into me providing for you. None of that will fix anything. But your fear will affect how you behave. It will affect whether you're walking across the ice or whether you're like me crawling across it because you're so scared that it's going to fall through. And so we have to ask ourselves, as Christians, are we walking or are we crawling? We could be driving a tank across the ice. As Christians, are we walking in faith or are we crawling in fear? That's the question I think that we have before us today. Are we living a life of fear? Maybe you don't recognize it as fear, but as you just dig down a few layers, there it is. There's that fear. There's that old fear. The fear of them. The fear of the unknown. The fear of what will happen. The fear of an uncertain future. I like things the way they are now. I don't want anything to change, so I'm afraid if anything changes. So I better vote this way. I better live this way. I better save my money this way. I better hoard this way. Are we crawling? I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're not making some progress. But God invites us to walk, to run in faith, not crawl in fear. So let me ask you this question as we wrap up. Where is fear holding you back from deeper discipleship? Where, maybe a better question is how, is fear holding you back from deeper discipleship? What is God calling you to do that your fear is saying, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm? Because he's not asked us to live in fear. He's been very clear on this point that a life of faith is a life that looks to Jesus, not to our fears. Doesn't mean they dissipate immediately. Doesn't mean we're terrible people if we struggle with those fears. It means we're normal, which is why God repeated his command over and over and over again. But where is God asking us to run where we're just busy crawling or maybe even moving backward? Where is fear holding us back from deeper discipleship? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful um, that we have examples of, of 
men of faith that, that acted in fear, Lord, to know that we're not the only ones. Uh, and Lord, I know that maybe a lot of us don't feel like we're people who are fearful. We don't pe- feel like people who are anxious, but I pray that you would, you would be open uh, and honest with us through your spirit. Help us to see the areas that we're just, we're just living in fear because we're afraid of an uncertain future, because we're not looking to you. Lord, I pray that we would be convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are with us in the shadow of the valley of death. Lord, we thank you for giving us opportunities to explore our faith and to address our fear, but I pray that we'd take this seriously. I pray that we'd take this walk of discipleship seriously and we'd closely examine what is uh, our fear holding us back. Where is our fear holding us back, God? We love you. We thank you. We thank you for faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that we would look to him and not focus on our fears. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Make sure you take an opportunity to write a little gratitude uh, note and put it to the wall as you walk out. We'll see you next Sunday.